0: Okay, so we are, we are not, the, the purpose of this journey that we're on is that we're not racing through this. I'm not trying to get it finished by the end of the year. Okay, it's like we've got a lot to speak into. But what's going to happen is as we talk through on this end times journey, it's going to intermingle and intertwine in all the things we have to do as a church community. So the last two weeks obviously being away, but we had to kind of look at what the, the men, are, the journey they've been on and all the, the camp with being away. And we've got to do those things in the life of the church, but this, this journey will just keep intertwining with what God is saying and what God's doing to us um, as a people. So there's no hurry, and I'm not trying to finish this up before the end of the year. There's a lot to speak into this. I want to sort of remind you that it's, it's good to ask questions, okay? If things come up for you and you're not so sure, or you want to know, or you've got something, just WhatsApp them or email them to the church, and there's a group that'll look at it together, and we will look at those questions together, because we're going on a journey, This is not just preachers and sermons to kind of, oh, now you've got the information. No, no, God's taking us on a journey because there's a day coming. There's a day arising where He's going to return. And we've got to be in preparation for that. And we've got to understand these times that uh, we are living. And so the prophetic plan and purpose of God. And He is in charge and holding and rolling it all in these times. Okay? And uh, as we're entering into this... Christmas and season time, it's, I'll, I'll still show you now how it's beautifully intertwined with what we're speaking about, with God's, God showing us and stuff. So, just to recap, okay, eschatology okay, is the study of the end things. Okay? It's, there's a root word, eschatos, which means the end times, end things will be revealed. We, the foundation that we have to walk through, though, is we have to go from the foundation of understanding anti-Semitism and what that is. Okay? And if you haven't followed over the last few weeks, I encourage you to go back into our podcast, go back into the website, and listen to these sermons. Because now you're going to be losing track if you jump on with number four or five. You're not going to know where we're at with the journey. So I encourage you to keep up. If you need that, we can get the information. Other words for anti-Semitism are things like supersessionism, okay? Things like replacement theology, okay? And a key verse and chapter that we read through the other day was Romans 11. Which gives us a foundation, okay. I just want to recap so we understand that when we read these passages, we can very clearly see that we are not we so we are the real and true Israel as the church. We are not the new Israel. Okay, remembering that term Israel that was given to Jacob was firstly a spiritual term given to a people that were a people of faith, that believed Almighty God, okay, to go and to believe what God had promised and for them to say. It wasn't speaking about geopolitical or, or geographical Israel. There's, yes, we'll talk about that today. I'll show you the covenant stuff. But it's a people who are gods. We have been grafted in to that story. Okay? And it's very important to understand the grafting in. That it's not our beginning. We as Gentiles got added to the story. Okay? But that, what it means for us then, well, because we've been added, as it says in Galatians 3, 29, as if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Which means all the Old Testament promises are now ours because we've been grafted in. So when we refer to passages of God and what He's saying to His people, we can hold on to those truths and hold on to that. Okay, And it's important to know the difference. And where you stand with this, you're either ignorant about this position, or there's this arrogance that you know better and the Jewish people have no place because we are now God's people, the glorious church. We are the, not the new Israel, we are the real, the true Israel that's been encompassed. The time of the Gentiles will come to an end. Remember that. He says that in Romans 11, Paul. The time of the Gentiles will come to an end and believing a revival is going to take place in Israel, and all Israel will be saved, and people will respond to the gospel, to the good news of Jesus Christ, because He's the only way. So, for us to understand and go on this journey, we've got to unpack a few covenants that have been set in place. Okay, these are foundational to everything of our belief system that we have according to the Bible. There are four main covenants: the Abrahamic covenant the mosaic covenant the davidic covenant from which the messiah came and then the new covenant in which we live so as you see now this is going to work perfectly today I'm going to speak about the abramic covenant next week the 27th I'm going to talk with well, the 20th I'm going to talk about the mosaic covenant the 27th we're going to speak about the davidic covenant and on the 4th of December we'll go into the new covenant sunday the 11th of December we'll have a family day and the new covenant is essentially Speaking into Christmas time. Where Jesus yeah. We couldn't have planned it better. Okay? Because Jesus comes to earth and he is revealed. The Messiah comes. This is the new covenant which we live. We couldn't have timed it better. That's how we're going to go. Okay? And we understand with this. The covenants are the foundation of the Bible story. Okay? And we need to understand them and know them. So we're gonna start with the first the first covenant. Okay? The Abramic Covenant, which we understand was given to Abram, whose name was changed to Abraham. Okay, The Abramic Covenant is not only the start of the Israel story, Okay, it's the start of God's redemption plan for a people. And I'll break down this covenant for you so you understand a bit more today what we're talking about. Because basically, when God says He made a covenant with somebody, He made a promise. And we understand we serve a God who does not lie. He does not retract on his word. He is not man that he should lie. You've got to, that's a foundational thing. You've got to look and see and understand. He's not two-faced. He doesn't change his mind like, oh, well, sorry, I said that, but then, ah, uh, yeah, sorry, it doesn't work now. He's not like us, okay, that he should lie. Come in. Okay. This covenant was not only God's full redemption plan, but also a place of great spiritual and geopolitical, meaning land, conflict of the day. Okay, there's a lot of conflict that goes around this covenant, as we understand. So, let's roll through here. So, what what is the Abramic covenant that was given to Abram? Okay, remember this now. When we read the Bible, everything about the Bible is Jerusalem and Israel central, centric. It all revolves around this people and this place and the small little town called Jerusalem where a lot happened and a lot is going to happen as things play out in our day and where we live and how things play out in the times that we are. Okay, Okay. the promise, these are the foundations of this Abrahamic province, pro, uh, promise, but I'm going to break them down a bit you. The promise made specifically to the descendants of Abraham which are through Isaac and then through Jacob, who was renamed Israel, and so the descendants continue okay, through all generations. Okay, Its primary emphasis of the Abramic covenant was a very specific and literal piece of land on this earth. This, there's a lot of contention when it comes to this. Okay, you, you were asked, why is there still fighting in the region? Because of this okay, it's ongoing, it's unchangeable, and it's everlasting, okay, the covenant was for both people and land, okay, you've got to let that settle and sink in, so let's just give some context, and we'll look at passages today to give us the story, so the context of Abraham's, Abraham's life, okay, and uh, you know, things in life take time, on yeah, my pre-watch, Warren said the couple of Sunday, a couple of Fridays ago, "Life takes time." I just I like that. I was like, "You can't hurry it. It just takes time." Look at Abraham's life, and who became Abraham? The years and years and years that he lived on earth, the years and years he waited for the promise. He just kept trusting. Our lives are the same. How many times are we just waiting, we trusting and believing? And we were sitting chatting with Cecil on uh, last week, and Cecil came up with a fantastic line. He says. It wasn't easy, but it was worth it. Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a great line. You know, this life isn't necessarily easy. But when you walk through the things and the goodness of God, it's all worth it. Because there's perspective when we serve Almighty God. And that's Abram's life and Abraham. It's take time for things to happen, you know. And so God first spoke to his father, Terah. He told his father to go to the land of Canaan. And his father didn't get there. And it says in Genesis 11, um, Terah took Abram, Abram, his son, and Lot, son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife. And they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Um, the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. So his father was told to go to the land of Canaan. He didn't get there. And stop, but far, the Lord started speaking to Abraham. Okay, stop short of Canaan. And then it says um, in Genesis 12, verse 7, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who appeared to him. Okay, and then the story goes on. There was a famine that caused them to move to Egypt. This is where they lie. He lies to Abimelech that Sarah is actually his sister and not his wife. But yet God steps in there. Amazingly, you realize why God steps in? Because he's protecting the seed. Okay, if anything was going to happen to Sarah and something was going to happen, she was going to bear a child through these men that they were with there. God stepped in and spoke to Bimelech and gave him context. He's protecting the seed. Okay, and then they come back uh, to the place where he first pinched pinched his, oh my goodness, that was close. Pitched his tent. Okay, if you go Google a guy that says that wrong, it's probably got 40 million hits. He says the wrong thing there, which I nearly said. I couldn't believe it. Okay, he pitched his tent. Okay, And the promise laid out from God is in Genesis 13. And it says, The Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had separated from him, okay? Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northwards, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that one can um, count the dust of the earth. Your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land for I will give it to you. That's still in Genesis 13. Then Abraham calls on the name of the Lord. Then there's strife between the herdsmen of Lot and Abraham's two camps trying to work together. So Lot separates, and then Lot has to be rescued. Um, Abraham goes and rescued him from the five and the four kings that are fighting against each other. This is just the story of Genesis rolling out. Then Abraham is blessed by Melchizedek, the king of Salem. Okay, it all rolls out, and then we get to Genesis 15, which is a key passage where God starts speaking to Abram and starts giving him context of this thing. So we're going to read through this promise that God speaks to Abram together. So let's look at this. After these things, the word, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, "Oh Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and an heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And, and Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my house, household will become my heir. And after these things, the word, no, I've just read that, sorry. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. Now remember, he doesn't have a child. Okay. And he brought him outside and said, look Toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Okay, so now this whole thing of righteousness, Paul alludes to this when he writes to the Romans and he writes to the Galatians, and he makes it very clear to them that your salvation now is not by works. Okay? It's by faith that you are received and made a, an heir to the throne. Okay? It's not by works. <coughs> Abram's faith was credited to him as righteousness. You are made righteous by faith, not because of your works. Okay? Let's keep reading the story. Okay? And he said so unto him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, Oh, Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against each other, against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. It's interesting information that comes out of the story, you kind of think. And the sun was going down, and a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. To understand what's going on there, God is clearly wanting to communicate to Abram. Then the Lord said to Abram, "Know for certain that your offspring will be so sojourners in a land that is not theirs." And will be servants there. Okay? And they will be afflicted for four hundred years. Now remember, this is way before Isaac and Jacob, who had Joseph. Okay, so God's way ahead of the game here. He knows what's coming. But I will bring judgment on the nation they serve, meaning Egypt and Pharaoh. And afterward they will come out with great possessions. When they left Egypt, they plundered the Egyptians. They took all the gold. They took everything from these guys. I mean, God's calling it out hundreds of years before it's even happened. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, meaning you will die. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Okay, so if we look at that verse there, and the breakdown of a lot of stuff that's been said there. Firstly... His own son was to be the heir of the promise. Not the, not the servants, not anyone else, not part of his household. His own son. The Lord made it very clear when he spoke to him. Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Okay? A blood covenant was made between God and Abraham at that point. Okay, And a projection of what his offspring would face, as I say, Abraham, Isaac, and then to Joseph, and eventually Moses, who leads them out, Okay, and spoke, and it's sorry, there's a not next to lead you. And when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and flaming torch passed between these pieces. So essentially, what's happening there is the Lord is appearing as a smoking pot and flaming torch. Understand why? He's God, He can do what He needs to do. Okay? And on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I will give this land. Now he describes the exact dimensions and positioning of the land according to the literal land. From the river of Egypt to the great river, the river of Euphrates, to the land of the Kenites, the Kezanites, the Kedmonites, the Hittites, the Pe- Pezarites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, and the Gereshites and the Jebusites. Thank you. <laughs> that was hectic. I did practice it this morning just a couple of times. <laughs> yeah. And the mats. Okay? So what we see there is, okay, the covenant was set in place, and a specific area and land has been promised to Abram at this point. Okay, so what's important to note out of this passage we've read now? Again, we've all read this many times. Only God walked between the animals that were cut in half. Abraham was put into a deep sleep. So what is that saying to us? Okay, about this covenant that God set in place. God walked as the smoking pot and burning flame, whatever it was. He walked between the animals. Now, Remember years ago, I preached here on, on covenant. Okay, it was understood that what you would do is that you would cut an animal in half and you would lie two parts of the animal on each side, a blood covenant set in place, and you would walk between these animals. And basically by doing that, you are saying, if I break this promise with you and I break this covenant with you, I would rather be like one of these dead animals. Okay. That's what was taking place here. This covenant that was set in place. So only God walked between the animals that were cut in half. Which tells us, okay, this is not a bilateral agreement. Okay, meaning it's not two-sided. It's one-sided. And praise with God, when things are one-sided, it's going to still be good. When things are one-sided in the world, you lose. Okay? It's a bilateral Not a bilateral agreement, which means, okay, it was unilateral and an unconditional agreement has been set in place, meaning it's not, it's one-sided and will never change, okay? Meaning, okay, it was not up to Abraham and his descendants to ensure that this promise is going to be fulfilled. It wasn't up to them to try and keep it. God said, I'm setting it in place, And I'm putting this for you and your people. And was the ultimate um, there was a point in time that it through Isaac and Jacob and eventually through Jesus the Messiah, who is the ultimate heir of this promise that God set in place from the very, very beginning. Okay. Now what you find in what you happen here you want some water, Christine? You got okay. Okay, what you find in the anti Semitic camp. And people that and believe in the replacement theology, where the church has replaced Israel, they struggle with these passages. Okay, they can't, so what you do is you do theological contortionism, and you twist it around a little bit to try and suit your theology. Okay, the word interprets the word over and over again. Remember what I said in the beginning, God is not a liar. He's not going to say one thing and then renege against it, like, oh, sorry, I didn't really mean it. Yeah. Okay? He's not like man that he should lie. Okay? And I know he's a promise-keeping God. Okay? And so the anti- anti-Semitic camp would then be saying God doesn't fulfill his promises today. But clearly, we do believe that he does. Okay? So remember, the promise involved both land and people. And I just want to quote from a from a book here, this guy named Joel Richardson, that we've done a lot of reading through him, and it's from a book called When a Jew Rules the World, which to the anti-Semitics is a tough one. Because a Jew is going to reign and rule, which is Jesus. And he says this within the various passages that detail the boundaries of the promised land. Okay, if we look here, okay, that's a map of the Middle East, okay? When we, within the various passages that detail the boundaries of the promised land, there are some reference points that we cannot be entirely sure of, but the general parameters are fairly clear. And while most believe that the promised land only includes the modern state of Israel, which is that small little spot there, the truth is that the promise also included a large segment of the Sinai Desert. Okay, Now you can see with that picture, that's more or less okay what it explains. Okay, much of modern-day Lebanon, a large segment of southern Syria, and a large portion of Jordan, all of the Golan Heights, as well as the West Bank and Gaza Strip. Where, where are all the fights happening? Gaza Strip, West Bank. It's all about, all about borders and boundaries. Who does this belong to? Whose is it? Okay? But we must be patient, because the time of the Gentiles has not come an idiot. Okay, God will fulfill His promise. Okay, so some things that people say with regards to the land, and uh, I'll do a, a quiz here for you. I'm going to say four things. One of them, I believe, is correct, and it's going to be obvious, but I want you to see how other people and camps in the Christian church talk about this stuff, and how they view and how they play it out. So many people will say, the Lord has failed to keep His promise. Because that will never happen. Okay? Or, the Lord never intended, actually, to keep His promise. He was just saying it. But, you know, like, but these are spiritually understood, okay, as in the blessings of Christ. You can't just, with your small, finite human mind, try and work out God. Okay? Thirdly, this will never be a literal promise fulfilled. But a spiritual promise in heaven or a heavenly new earth. Now there's a big debate when it comes to this. Is it was it when he was talking to Abraham, was he talking about a heavenly thing? Or an actual literal land? Okay? Okay, I'm just I'm just opening up for you what's happening out there. Okay, it's all fine and yeah, we're all kind of loving each other, it's all okay. No one's thrown a tomato at me yet. Okay? All right. So you I want to highlight to you, okay? And the other thing is that. The Lord has yet to fulfill His promise literally and remains committed to still do so when He returns. Okay? It's obvious. The last one I read, I believe, is the thing. He's still going to do this. So it's hard to believe that God does not keep His promises. What kind of God do we serve if we are happy to be, well, you know, well, He might change His mind about salvation through Jesus then. And then you're stuck. You've got nothing to lean upon. Because if he did it once, well he might do it again, that's what it's going to lead you to, and it leads you to a works we've got to do, make sure that we work on the salvation and we do all this kind of stuff. He's a promise-keeping God. We've got to rest and be secure in that. OK? The thing is, though, how He fulfills them, OK, is not bound by your carnal little mind. OK? And I I guarantee you, it's not going to work out how you think it's going to work out. God's going to do it the way He's going to do it. And we've got a faith when we see it playing out that He's doing it. You see, God always requires faith. That's why, in the beginning, when I spoke to you about we need to be a people of faith to believe about being the true Israel. Okay? Because everything's about faith. When God started moving in the beginning, in the early 90s, and he started rattling, waking up his church, and people were laughing at church, and then there were gold teeth, and gold dust, and there was chaos in the church. It caused trouble in the church. Could we explain what God was doing? No. Those who went with it rode the wave, and what God was doing in the time, those who didn't choose to come with are still in the same place. Great preaching, great stuff, all the good things happening, They're not on the pulse where it says about the sons of Issachar who knew the times and understood what to do. Okay, that's where we've got to keep tracking with God. The world in the last three years has radically changed. If we're not tracking with what God is showing us, you will be stuck in a certain place. It requires faith. And He's a God who who asks that for us. So in our finite minds, we can't now predict exactly. That's why I was saying it's not going to be um, what but when or how and all those? I keep forgetting that line. I must maybe just remember that line. You see, it's going to play out in a way that God's going to choose and it might be very different to how some of us thought it might going to be. You know, I've heard a guy speaking about, like a good question, where is the Garden of Eden today? Okay? The, the battery's flat in this thing. come no, That's fine, it's buzzing, but it's, it should last. Where is the Garden of Eden? Hey. Eh? Where are those angels with the two flaming swords that don't allow anyone to enter? Surely someone has found them. (laughs) So now now there's different theories that come. What happened? And I heard one guy speaking that actually he believes that whole thing of God and God and Eden was actually lifted up and taken away. And when Jesus returns, there will be a coming back. Now try and figure how that's going to work. You can't, in your finite mind, you've got to just believe by faith. And you can't get the finite answers. This is what I'm going to do on this day, it's going to happen, just look to the Son. Look to Jesus the Son, and I guarantee all will fall into place when you have faith in Him. Because when He returns, what's He looking for? Faith. Not our uh, much money is your bank account, how well you did, how big the church was, your ministry, all the things you did in your own work. It's faith. Did you believe what I told you? (laughs) Basically. eh? It's not hard. It's not difficult. So this then, you see, as we go on this journey, raises the question of this fulfillment of this land. Is it a spiritual fulfillment or an earthly fulfillment? Many supersessionists and replacement theologians and the anti-Semitic camp would tell you that it's a spiritual fulfillment. That'll happen. It's not talking about the literal land. Okay, and what Abraham saw was a heavenly land, not an earthly land. And now we're going to unpack this as we go. We've got, we've got a lot of stuff to cover because you see what a promise and a covenant sets in place raises questions to right at the end of the story how it's going to play out and in, in when Jesus returns to earth. Okay, there's a whole sequence of events that has to take place. And Jesus returning and having His millennial reign, if you read um, Revelation, verse, Revelation chapter 20, it speaks of those thousand years. Okay, the timing of when that's going to happen. Jesus is going to come and reign on earth. The, Satan will be bound for a thousand years. And it says after that thousand years, there'll be a short time he'll be released, but then thrown into the pit of sulfur. Okay. If we don't believe that Jesus is going to be just a new heaven and new earth, everything's going to be changed and put in place. The passages of Abraham's covenant you struggle to fit in. You see how the end, you have to understand the beginning to get the end. This is why we're doing this stuff now. I'm not going to dive deep into this because we're going to unpack it when we get to those passages. Okay? But what we do know is Jesus will return, he will destroy all sinful and corrupt systems. He will be the king that will rule, and he will establish his government on this earth. Okay, How that's going to work, you can't figure it out in your finite mind. But it's quite interesting how the enemy is always having a plan of this one government, one order thing. It's always a replica of the true model. It's the counterfeit. You see, you see how things play out? Okay, He will destroy all principalities and powers. He will reign. Wicked systems will cease and His government will be established. That's why when you read Romans 8 and you understand why creation is groaning. Okay, let's read that. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who was subjected to it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not, all, all, not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And Paul speaks about in 1 Corinthians 15 about our natural bodies being raised into a spiritual body. Okay? Meaning that what was corrupt will now be made perfect. Okay, there's so there's so many things and we'll as we track and go on this journey, we will get to this about the millennial reign, which you then can't do theological contortionism because it doesn't fit with the story right in the beginning of what he said to Abraham. That's why we're going on the foundation right from the very beginning to understand this. So to understand and recap here the covenant was made between God, a people, and a land that He set in place. Okay? Jesus will return. Okay? And He will reign on earth. His thousand-year reign, if you read Revelation 20. Okay? All corrupt systems we've done away with, sin will be dealt with. Now the question is, (laughs) is, will this thing work? Yeah. The covenant was with Isaac, not with Ishmael. That's a very important thing as well, to understand this. Okay, and how do we know that? Because the Bible tells us so. Isn't there a song like that? Wow. Simplicity, eh? Going back to kids' songs, because the Bible tells me so. Let's just believe the Bible. Let's read Genesis 17. And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Now, remember, he had a, a son with a main servant, Hagar. Okay, because he was like, well, if this promise is not going to work out, I'm going to do something about it. And he had... Um, uh, he slept with uh, Hagar, his maidservant, and he birth Ishmael. Okay, and we've all heard us speaking about your birth and Ishmael. It's not the true promise. You are putting your hands on it, and you are trying to produce something for God. But he just asks you just to trust me. Wait. Be patient. I am faithful. I will come through for you. So isn't that we're a time like that now? Just patiently waiting, and God's doing something with us as His people. No, but Sarah, your wife, Listen, he's saying, shall bear you a son, and you shall call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his, after, uh, uh, for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I've heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But... I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. It can't be more clear, right? It's not with Ishmael. It's with Isaac, the promise of the son. Now there's a large portion in the body of Christ who through their theological contortionism now try and twist these promises, undermine these promises. For example, he has an extract of a man's blog site, and he was asked the question, okay, what is your position on Israel? And this is what his response was. The land was given to the descendants of Abraham. His descendants are Isaac and Ishmael. The descendants of Abraham do, in fact, already live in the land. God has fulfilled His promise. Okay, now, now people that are uninformed will go, oh, wow, I didn't realize that. But the Bible doesn't say that. So, you know, he explains in his book, this guy's a great guy. He's a fantastic speaker, fantastic author. But how can you, how can you say something that's against what the Bible makes so clear? Because you're trying to twist your theology to suit what you need to believe. And guys, there will come a day when all these people will stand before God and answer for what they have done and believed and said. Okay? And when you read further... Through Genesis. Okay, you will see that Sarah is not happy with this Hagar woman hanging around the camp now. Okay, let me see what comes next. Okay. And and so what she does is she moans to Abraham and says, Look at this Hagar and this Ishmael, they must they must go now. And Abraham's like, Well no, man, we can't we can't get them to go. Like Ishmael was around about 14 years of age, and Isaac was still a small baby. In Genesis 21 says this. Um, I don't think that I've got it up there. This thing is slowly dying a death yeah. He says... Okay, okay, this, okay. I'll read this passage now. It says there in Genesis 21, it says, And the child grew and was weaned, talking about Isaac, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. Weaned means he's finished breast milk, right? Okay, yeah. okay, so he might have been two years old. Okay, but Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, now, not Abram, Abraham, cast out the slave woman with her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And listen to how Abraham's response. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on the account of his son. You see, this is his son, Ishmael. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased. Because of the boy and because of your slave woman, whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall come your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman, also because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning, took bread and and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with her child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered into the wilderness of Bathsheba. Bathsheba. So Sarah asked for it to be cast out. Abraham's like, no, that displeased him. God's not displeased. He says, no, that's fine. Let her go. Because my promise is not with Ishmael. It's with Isaac. Okay? Thanks, bud. Okay? God doesn't get upset with Abraham. Okay? He actually condones her being sent away. So then we read further, and we understand that that the, the covenant... Extends beyond just Isaac, and it's now made with Jacob, not Esau. Okay, so God's not confused about which bloodline his is this going to follow through. I was just reading the other morning in Luke, at the end of Luke 3, I think it is, and it just gives the whole genealogy of from Abraham right through. And you just like you just see names coming out and key points and stuff. God knew, man. There's a line that had to follow, and out there came the Messiah. From this point here. Speaking, he knew there would come a Messiah. He knew this line must follow. That's why he's protecting the seed, protecting this line. So if we read this passage, and behold, the Lord, now this is further on in Genesis, okay? The Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac. He's speaking to Jacob. The land in which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread a to the west and to the east and to the north and the south. Sounds familiar. We've heard this before, right? Okay. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of, all the earth, of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. The Bible doesn't get more clear. Okay. So, so through, throughout Scripture... The Lord is reiterating this promise over and over and over again. Do you know in the book of Deuteronomy he says this almost 70 times reiterating the promise. Throughout the whole Bible it's it's over 200 times that he reiterates the promise. Who knows that God often has to repeat himself for us to truly believe it sometimes. Okay, that's why coming here on a Sunday feels like we go through the same motions. It's a reminder. Sure, it is challenging. Man, this world, the things pressing in me, but whew, God is faithful. He is a mighty God. That's why don't forsake the gathering together of the saints Amen. in Hebrews 10 25. Don't forsake that because this is the place where you are, yes, this is it. This is what we're about. The community, the ecclesia, the people coming together, it's important, it's a part of it. Okay? So the Abrahamic covenant is the foundation upon which the Lord's entire plan of redemption is built. And it follows a line through generation after generation. That's why we when you sing that song and to a thousand generations you are worthy, why does it stir something in you? Because it just means like forever and ever he doesn't change. It gives us hope that we now are In line with all of that, because of what Jesus, the line right through to the Messiah, we are part of the redemption plan that He thought about us thousands of years ago when He was giving this promise to Abraham. And He's not forgotten, and He will never forget, and He never lies. And this is the God that we can hold on to and hold on to truth. Amen. And I hope this has brought clarity to you now. It's not complicated. It's not complicated. In our finite minds, we try and add and think what it should be like. Trust the Word. Trust what the Bible tells us. The passages we read today cannot be more clear. Cannot be more obvious what God is saying to us. And I believe in miracles because it is exactly 1130. That's good, eh? Sure. Look at that. That's amazing. There you clap. You just clap. You just clap. So next week, well, well, I might, yeah, I don't know, next week I might talk into the threshing floor, a little bit of, of, of where Isaac and Abra- Abraham had to take Isaac up to the mountain, and what mountain that was on, and the journey that was on, okay? We'll do that next week. Then after that, we'll go into the Mosaic Covenant with Moses. Now, the difference between that covenant is that it was unilateral. That was the difference with that covenant, if you obey me, yes. I'll bless you. Yes. If you don't obey me, you'll be cursed. Okay? That that's covenant is not like the Abramic covenant. It was actually, you do that, I'll do this. And that's the journey of Israel. Through and through. Then you get all the kings of Israel, the nor- ten northern tribes. And the Judah, the two southern tribes. Do you know the ten northern tribes? Never once did they have a king that followed the Lord. Yeah. Every time it says, and he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Yeah. They were only in Judah, out of David's line, out of that house of Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin. Yet God, because of the covenant of Abraham, still held true. And he didn't break the promise. The mosaic was they broke, and we'll go through it. I'll break it down for you a little bit more. Then we get to the Davidic, which is beautiful, with David and what he established and set in place. And then Christmas time is the new covenant of Jesus coming here as a baby to earth. And turning it all upside down. And now we sit on the fulfillment of that. Amen? Amen. Amen? Amen. Come, let's just pray together as we honor what God is doing in our midst. and speaking to us. I just want to remind you that we have prayer here after this meeting. If you want people to pray with you, you want people to stand with you, Zita and the Healing Rooms team will be here in the front to pray with you. And just stand with you and to believe for things. So Father, we want to thank you that you are speaking to your people in this hour. We want to thank you for the promises that you have given us thousands of years ago still stand for today. May that stir faith in our hearts that you are not a wavering God. You're not a God who would lie. You're not a God a God that would lead us down a path of destruction. You are a God of truth, a God of life, a God of faith. And so, Father, we rest in you, and I pray over every heart here that we catch what you are saying to the church in this hour. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And we respond to you, Almighty God. Lead us. Guide us. As we go from here, let us be the light. Let us glorify you in our workplaces. Glorify you in our school places. Glorify you in our homes and our families, in every area of our lives. Because of this promise, we now can glorify Almighty God, because you never change, and you are faithful to the end. Amen. And amen and amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Have an amazing week. Praise God.